Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Into the Night Minute podcast, a show where each week teams of Movies by Minute podcasters talk about John Landis's 1985 comedy thriller Into the Night. Uh, this week, I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of the Airport Minute, the Apollo 13 Minute, and the Rocketeer Minute. And I'm Hal Bryan of the Rocketeer Minute and once in a while, some of the other minutes. And Hal, it's great being back with you. It's always always it's, good uh, to have you at the at at the co pilot seat or a pilot seat, whichever. <laughs> we keep switching switching sides, so you have exactly. you we, have control. <laughs> I have control. It's yeah. confirmed. Now, let me tell you how this is going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Fasten your seatbelts. Yes. Uh, um, I, I have to say, I do. I, I love this movie, and it seems like uh, I'm one of the few people that have ever seen the movie. It's 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 a great film. It's a, it's a very funny film. It comes on the on the heels of uh, of uh, John Land, the director John Landis, who had done uh, Animal House and uh, Way Back Kentucky Fried Movie. I enjoy his movies. This came at a rather tragic time in his life. Of course, I mean it, it's kind of uh, overshadowed by uh, the events that happened in his previous movie, the Twilight Zone movie. Right. Where uh, we lost, uh, I think it was six children and uh, the actor Vic Morrow in a, a helicopter crash during filming. Th- this movie was uh, about two months, two months of total production, but a couple of weeks into it, uh, John Landis was arraigned for uh, uh, for manslaughter, and uh, he. Uh, a lot of the people that you're going to be seeing in this movie appear as cameos in support of John Landis to have him keep his job. He was later acquitted of the charges. Um, except for the charge of having uh, uh, children working past their, uh, uh, you know, appropriate work hours at night, uh, but uh, it was generally a, it was a tragedy, and uh, you know he he still lives with that. So. Yeah, I have a I have a deep affection for the Twilight Zone movie, but it's still that segment is still tough to watch, knowing how it turned out. Uh, yeah, yeah, very, yeah, very all, difficult all, time. Concerned. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So I know I know we'll talk a lot more about John Landis and, and some of his other movies in, in later minutes. But um, you know, when you first mentioned that this was the next group project, I smiled and nodded and saluted, sir. Yes, sir. I'm in. Let's do this. This will be great. And then nervously, you know, admitted to myself, I've never seen this movie uh, before <laughs> we started talking about it. And what? What I can't figure out is how that's possible. In 1985, I'm a uh, junior in high school, you know, or junior going on senior in high school, 17 years old. And boy, that summer in particular, starting in 83, but, but certainly by 1985, if a movie came out, I saw it. And I already knew who John Landis was. I already was a fan. I already liked a lot of his stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I can't imagine how I had never even heard of this movie, much less never much less never seen it. But of course I, you know, I watched it in, in preparation for it. And it was, it was a lot of fun and boy, I would have absolutely loved it back then. Yeah. It's, it's a very quirky film. I mean, it has a a lot of thrilling thriller elements to it, but it's told in a very funny manner. I mean, it's, it's very much in the John Landis style. Did you say thriller elements, Jim? Oh, thriller. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That, that, that kind of ironically named, but accurate, accurate. Um, and at, it, that was that had come out just briefly before. Uh, well, while he was doing Twilight Zone movie and all that, he worked on Michael Jackson's uh, famous video thriller with uh, uh, camera work by and, and co-produced by uh, George Folsley Jr., who we're going to see uh, having a card come up uh, shortly right. in this first minute. But uh, Landis and Folsley partnership uh, created some 
really iconic scenes of the 80s. And uh, yeah, it is, it is really peculiar. I mean, maybe Universal didn't market it right, or maybe they, uh. they didn't know where their audience was. But it's a, it's a very big puzzle. Is it, it certainly wasn't. Would you consider it a, was it a box office success? Was it? Uh... It was, no, actually, this was his first, um, uh, not a bomb, but a lackluster performance. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's, I think he would, he was, dis- it was disappointing when you look at it in, in light of things like the Twilight Zone movie. And, I mean, Animal House, Blues Brothers, right. uh, it, it's all very, you know, this is all very much in the Landis ballpark. Right. And that, that this Disney hit is kind of confusing. Now, had uh, American Werewolf in London come out by this point? I uh, remember, was that 84? Yeah, I think it was just before okay. this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, all of these things, you know, you see, a, you see John Landis at the front of the picture and you're going to go, hey, that's a pretty good, that's got to be a good movie. I, my my belief, and I'm sure other people will talk about this as, as the weeks go on. My belief is it just didn't have the star power in it. Um, he hired two uh, not quite unknowns, but relatively unknown people. Jeff Goldblum, really his only previous outing in the, in the world here that people would know him from was uh, the Big Chill. He was kind of like fourth down on the on the list of people in the movie, and he was a he was a quirky, you know the, the typical Jeff Goldblum quirky guy. Right. And uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was Al Pacino's girlfriend in uh, Scarface, um, but she was not, you know, she's not a well-known person. And I mean, the biggest name in this is below the title, and it's David Bowie. So, uh, yeah, it's I, 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 my my feeling is that it wasn't a, it was a hit in Europe and and in other markets, but just not in America because these were unknown people, and why should we laugh at them? <laughs> why should we laugh at them? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> let's go to the let's go to the start of the movie. Starting starting with uh, the classic nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties Universal and MCA company. Uh, one of my favorite logos. I mean, uh, Universal. Every time Universal would change their logo, they'd usually show you all their previous logos. They'd right. have the airplane flying around the globe and and those beautiful glass letters that said Universal around the globe. Um, and uh, this was the one that started every, you know, when you're watching the end of a NBC mystery movie or something on on TV, it would end with, uh, da, 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 you know, it would show this Universal and MCA company logo right. with the with the twin spotlight circles, and it's just a, a gorgeous thing. MCA, of course, being a Music Corporation of America, uh, they were they were the the umbrella organization that you know they were a recording company that bought a movie studio and uh, Universal. I guess people now know Universal as you know being the front end of Universal uh, NBC, NBC Universal and uh, and Universal Studios, but this was all in the in the mix at the at the time. It was mostly uh, a studio that made uh, John Landis movies and TV shows. <laughs> exactly. I didn't uh, realize this till I was uh, digging in a little bit of, uh, as we started the podcast, but uh, Universal was founded. Uh, I mean, really came together in 1914. But, yeah, Carl Lemon. Yeah, but his and, and his first uh, motion picture company came in 1909, which yeah, is, so. just blows my mind. Like, yeah, I think it, he was competing with Edison. Right, Think about that. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's uh, ama- amazing. And you know, moving out, moving out west, and getting uh, getting all that California sunshine, like like all the other studios would do. Um, he was a pioneer, moving really far west. He was over the mountains from Hollywood, um, and. Uh, you know, in what's now Studio City, building building quite an empire there on the under you know, sunny California skies. 
and they're you know they're still around today. They managed to uh, merge with merge with NBC, the company that had been selling all those TV shows to, and uh, they're still a powerhouse. And actually, they own the copyright uh, for this movie. So just just thank thank you, Universal NBC Universal, <laughs> because we are we are doing under fair use. We are reviewing this movie exactly. Totally okay for us to talk about it. And here's to a complete absence of anything that says cease and desist anywhere <laughs> yes. on it. Yes. Um, one of the people that we were going to talk about in, in as responsible for this movie coming, coming to line is a, a fellow named uh, Sean Daniel. Sean Daniel was the head of production for uh, Universal, and he's the one that greenlit John Landis making this movie. It wasn't that big a lift for him because he had, uh, he had already greenlit uh, Animal House, Coal Miner's Daughter, The Blues Brothers, The Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Brazil, Field of Dreams, Back to the Future, Out of Africa, Midnight Run, Born on the Fourth of July, Weird Science, Uncle Buck, oh, man. Um, Fletch, Gorillas in the Mist, uh, Dark Man, and Monty Python's Meaning of Life. So, you know, this is all happening while he, you know, he's doing this, and this movie is being produced while Back to the Future is being made. So, it, you know, he was a busy guy, and uh, he really picked, picked quite a few winners. And even though this wasn't a commercial success, I think... Uh, you know, from from a production standpoint, it was a great move, and especially having all those uh, fantastic cameos that we're gonna we're gonna see coming up oh in the next. Gosh, in the show. yeah. If I have one bit of advice for anybody sitting down to watch this movie, maybe for the second time, try not to be too distracted the first time if you can avoid it. But but you know, get your phone out, your tablet out, open up the IMDb app, or if you're watching on an Amazon device, I think they have this via Prime Video. Uh, turn on the X-ray feature. Because you won't believe the the number of cameos of people whose work you've heard of, but you may not recognize by sight. Yeah, and they're every, everywhere. I mean, it every is. every thirty seconds or so, you're going to see a, a room full of people that are like, "Hey, I know that's David Cronenberg," and people like that. So. <laughs> exactly. I, ah. It's yeah, it's staggering, and I, I I know you and I'll touch on this a little bit in later minutes, and and the other hosts hopefully as they come up will uh, will address uh, address some of the individual appearances. But my gosh. When you when you look at the number of of directors, you know directors, creators, writers, who uh, and the bodies of work that they represent, who just show up in these cameos. I mean, you've got you know Jim Henson and Lawrence Kasdan. So there's the Muppets and The Empire Strikes Back. Just just checked right off off yeah, the bat, it, it, and it, and a dozen, it, two dozen other people. It's it's unreal, I mean, and you just say, how could they get him? In? And it's wow. just because these people know John Landis and, and wanted to reach out to him. Right. So uh, quite a quite a time. Uh, one la- one last note about Sean Daniel is he's still in the business. He's still doing his own work. He has a Sean Daniel Studios, and uh, most recently, uh, if you're watching, uh, you know, on your on your streaming services, he's most recently uh, responsible for the Expanse. So, oh really? Uh, yeah. It's so he he continues on, and I think he knows how to pick winners. Yeah. Uh, well, we are, we are, we're going to start the movie here proper, and like like so many movies movies that I seem to wind up as part of, uh, this movie starts with an airport. Of course it so, does. Yes. Because why wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. So we're flying over uh, nighttime Los Angeles, and uh, where are we, Hal? Where, where are uh, well, we're on uh, what we would consider to be short final uh, for runway, uh, we decided it was 2-4 right over uh, Sepulveda yes. there. So um, LAX, it, I believe the numbering would have been the same in the 80s uh, as it is now. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, and we talked about this on the Rocketeer Minute, but uh, runways are numbered by their magnetic direction. So in this case, runway 24 would, would point 
at least roughly 240 degrees. And sometimes they change over time because, as has actually been in the news a lot very recently, the magnetic North Pole is moving. Uh, as the North Pole moves, the location of magnetic north moves, and periodically airports will have to go in and, and, and say, you know, this runaway is now closer to, say, 25, 250 degrees than 240 degrees, and they would rename it. Now, in the case of LAX, where they've got four parallel uh, runways, so there's a, two pairs of two, runway 24, as of today, actually points about two, 251, 251 degrees. So 24 left and right should be runways 25, but because there are a total of four and we don't really have a numbering system or an identification scheme to accommodate four runways, you can do three, you can do left, right, and center, but as you were saying before we started, you don't have like left and, and really more left. <laughs> so they've just decided that, okay, uh, on the, we'll call it just the left-hand side of the airport, runways uh, 24 left and 24 right are, or, or those two runways are 24. On the other side of the airport, they're 25. And, and they have to be, they kept uh, distinct because you could conceivably have landing operations on all four runways. So you've got to make sure everybody knows exactly which runway they're going to. Wow. I, I know I've been, I think I've been in a, the parking lot there. It was just probably changed over time. But I remember back in the 90s, the uh, rental car uh, return is is somewhere out, out there on the uh, oh. on the east side of the airport. And I can remember, you know, getting out of my car and looking up and seeing wheels. I think you could read the word Goodyear <laughs> on, the, on the side of the tires. It was that low. And it just, that was always astonishing to me that you can really... <laughs> Stand here and let that, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I, real estate is at a premium, so uh, you, park, <laughs> you park close to the outer market uh, or the inner yeah, market. Yeah, absolutely. And you get a great look at, uh, almost like a textbook look at, you know, various, uh, the runway lighting system, the the strobe, you'll see the one, sort of the runway we're lined up on, and then you see one off to the left for the other runway for uh, for 24 left, yeah. or 24 right, nicknamed the rabbit, and it's just a strobe series of lights just to say the runway is right here, it's over here, it gets your attention, it points to it. You have the okay. approach lights, runway end lights, all the other good stuff, and then, you know, nice setting in the touchdown zone. I'm assuming this is, I, you know, I guess I don't know for sure if, if what we're hearing would somehow be live, actual sort of natural audio. I, I, I would think that would... Be- I would think that would be yeah that, that that should be natural audio but I think it's you know it's it's an added effect I don't right because otherwise it would to... just be nothing but wind noise but it yeah. is um, it's interesting that if you listen closely to the engine sound you hear we're sort of throttling down throttling down and then as it's as the airplane's rounding out the pilot's adding just a little bit of power to sort of arrest that final bit of descent and it matches with the visuals really well so um, good editing then <laughs> yes yeah, that's really really good editing and then a little bit of uh, chirp of the tires just as uh, just as ira newborn's uh, music starts yeah yeah that beautiful uh that the iconic well it would be iconic if this were popular but that uh, <laughs> you, you hear those you hear those power toms uh, coming up and it's like yeah that's oh yeah we're going at the top of the beat and uh you know as a drummer you can appreciate oh we got it right <laughs> oh yeah well and it's uh um we don't hear him in this minute, but BB King is going to be singing. Yeah, yeah, right. And in, in, uh, yeah, as, as soon as the song gets going, you know, Ira Newborn did all kinds of stuff. Was kind of the soundtrack guy of of a lot of '80s pictures, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and lots of others. But my my favorite score of his, I think, is this for a lot of people would be the Police Squad slash Naked Gun. Yes, yeah. yes, that was that was on top of the list. I was saying. yeah. He he knew he knew how to play it so that you heard it and you just started laughing. It's just so. 
um, over the top. <laughs> and and I swear, you could sit somebody down at this movie and have them watch it, not tell them anything about it. I mean, almost like how I went into it. And, you know, push play. We see the airport and hear this and stuff. But the second those wheels touch down and that music starts, you said the toms and the synth and everything else. You could ask them right, right then what year it is. And they're going to be right within one or two years. They're going oh, to say for, somewhere between 84 and 86. Yeah, for sure. It is those, just, that, that Prophet 5 synthesizer, yes. no, you know, polysynth, you can hear. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, right. I know that sound. Yes. To, <laughs> uh, to badly paraphrase Spinal Tap, how much more 80s could it be? And the answer is none. None more 80s. <laughs> yes. yes. Everybody in the band had a mullet. Uh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> which, uh, if if you go out on YouTube, you can see the B.B. Uh, King uh, video of this song. And... Uh, there is so much. There's so many mullets and Jerry curls. It's yeah. You you feel like uh, Marty McFly is going to show up and, and pick up a guitar with it. Yeah, it's just a, a a beautiful opening, and it does throw you into, you know, you are into the night because it's mostly dark, and it's you know, we've all had that feeling when you're getting someplace. We're obviously on the start of an adventure. We've arrived, and uh, it, you know, this this is a great way to to get you into the idea that it's going to be high energy. It's, there's going to be, right. uh, it, it's very much unknown. There's not a lot of clues as to what the movie's about so far. And we're already a minute into the movie. Interesting too, that, you know, that we're starting with this, with this landing in, in a way, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it's sort of setting us up for the fact that, that some, at least of the, the drama without spoiling anything is going to take place, you know, in and around the airport. We're coming to the airport to set the scene you know, whereas you think of the title, Into the Night, you almost think of sort of departing the airport, taking off, flying off into the night and, you know, and then yeah. going to some other exotic destination. But now this, we're, we're coming to the airport, we're establishing, you know, the airport as, a, as an important scene fairly early on in the film. And, uh, and the, the, rest, uh, the rest will ensue. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and night means so much to people. It means, you know, opportunities for romance uh, and, of course, tiredness. This whole idea of exhaustion is, is a constant theme in this movie, and we'll, we'll get into right. that. I know, we're, I know we're, like, setting everything up for future episodes, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's everything that you can think about with night. Night is kind of scary, and uh, night has a lot of unknowns, so uh, it's, a, it's a great opening. Um, I'm not sure I like, I mean, this is a nitpick, but I'm really not sure I like the font. I don't like that hand, that kind of a soggy, uh, handwritten font. It doesn't, it, it's hard to make out some of the names. It looks like oh, John yeah. Landis is Bandus and it's, it, you know, it, it just doesn't quite click for me, but you know, again, yeah. an 80s styling. Yeah. I say it's very much an 80s style. So it, it makes it, you know, appropriate for the period or makes it you know where mine takes you back to that period but yeah i just it's just too uh I, I don't know too artsy for the sake of being artsy without really accomplishing what you wanted to accomplish yeah um uh, and all i can think of when i'm when i'm looking at these runways is i know at the very far end of the runway is a uh, really good uh, in and out burger if you want to get <laughs> if you want to get to in and out you can actually walk from the terminal go to the edge of uh, lax and there's a there's a nice in and out right there and I can never, can never think of that without thinking of another great '80s film, Fletch. Yes. And he wants to go to the In and Out Burger, or he's saying, you know, how about we go get an In and Out Burger? And how about just the In and Out? He says no. How about just the In? It's just awful, but it's it will always make me giggle, like the twelve-year-old uh, that I will forever be. 
Wow. Well, we'll we'll pick up some more some more of your past in and and film <laughs> fil, film watching uh, yes. uh, tomorrow. But uh, for folks, uh, thanks for being with us here on the first episode. And uh, we've got a lot of places you can go to to uh, to capture us every day. You can go to uh, iTunes. You can go to uh, Google Play. You can also go to uh, Spotify and pick up uh, this this uh, this review. And we will be available if you just type in into the night minute podcast and uh, click on subscribe and we'll get you delivered hot and fresh every every day uh, this whole uh, production is part of a group called movies by minutes uh, it's a bunch of us that make movies we well like like this like the name implies we look at a movie one minute of screen time per episode and then we'll talk about just that minute over the next uh 17 weeks you're going to be hearing a bunch of different groups. It's kind of like a Whitman sampler of, uh, of hosts that uh, that host uh, Movies by Minutes groups. We're available on a big site called moviesbyminutes.com. At the time we're recording this, there are over 130 different movies. So chances are we have your favorite movie has been looked at one minute at a time. Can't do tighter than that. I can't think of movies by seconds because I just don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> we just don't have that much. Yeah. <laughs> There's not enough hours left in our lives. Exactly, yeah. So uh, ch- check that out, moviesbyminutes.com. If you want to uh, visit us and, and get some more detailed information about this particular movie, go to nightminute.com. We're also, if you want to talk back with us, you can find us at int- uh, you can find us at nightminute on Twitter or at The King Lives, the Into the Night uh, Minute uh, uh, listeners limo that's available on Facebook. So just look for The King Lives, and you'll find out more about that. Hopefully you've seen the movie. If you haven't, go check it out on Amazon. As, as uh, Hal said, you can watch the, uh, uh, the X-ray uh, part where it tells you all the background. You can sit there and go, oh, that's what, the, that's what they were talking about in this minute. <laughs> So uh, anyway, we're, we're going we're gonna to pick it up again tomorrow. So please join us here tomorrow as we continue to go into the night. Do we thank you or what? I'd say I fall in the or what category. 